as I said before, it's been a long time since I've done this. I think it's been over a year. It's been, it's been nice and relaxing to see that we have an associate pastor now and we have a pastor. Uh, so I don't know if I'm rusty or not. We're going to give it a shot. Um, for the last several weeks, can I do without these? Let's see. For the last several weeks, I've noticed that God has been kind of putting something together. Um, been listening to Marlene's teachings on Sunday morning, the Wednesday night study that we're doing on, uh, on the case for faith, which if, if any of you haven't read that book, uh, it's a long and boring read. But, but it's a great book. And so is the case for Christ that, uh, that the same author wrote. Um, but what I'm getting at is that God has been tying all that together, and, and it's been amazing uh, how the, the sermons and everything. And, and I know a lot of people sit there and think, well, you know, the pastor talks to the Sunday school teachers, the Sunday school teachers talk to each other, and the pastor's doing the Wednesday night service. We don't talk about that during the week. God just kind of lumps all that together and puts it all together. And this whole thing has been about faith, and we've been learning about what faith is and how it's strengthened. Um, we've talked about moving mountains. We've talked about standing firm. We've, we've, we've done a, a lot of things. Now, today, if you look at the sermon title, I, I asked my wife to look at that, and I said, what do you think? She says, why the question marks? I said, that's the sermon. So we're, we're going to talk about how our belief or our lack of belief affects our spiritual walk. So I'm going to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Wow, that's weak. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Amen. Why do you say that? Because you do. Yeah, well, you know, when I ask that, and when you ask that in any church, I'd, I'd wager to believe that everybody is going to say, yes, amen, of course. But I'm kind of going to call everybody out on that response today. Do you really believe in Jesus? Or are you saying that because that's the response? I mean, we've, we've, we go to church every Sunday. We hang out with Christians. We, we, uh, we go to work. We do that. But, you know, when people ask us, do you believe in Jesus, the automatic response is, well, yeah, sure, amen, praise the Lord, I believe in Jesus. And faith, you know, faith requires a little bit more than that. The, the danger that we're all in is, is, I think, really called out in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, now I don't know about you guys. That, that verse scares me. It, it scares the living daylights out of me Be, because of the kind of finality of it. You know, we, we, all, we all believe in Jesus. We all want to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. But what, what he's saying here is that there's going to be a lot of people that are doing that that he's not going to recognize. Well, I find you need three things to really believe in Jesus. The first thing is, is what? You have to have knowledge of him, right? You have to know who he was. 
you know, where he was born, what he did, what he said, all, all those kind of things. If we look at the Gospels, we can learn some things about him. Um, I, I love this, this passage of Scripture in John 1, verse 41, when, when Andrew was telling his brother Simon, Peter, about him. He said, um, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Now, Andrew didn't beat around the bush. He didn't, you know, he, he was sure about it. He was absolutely sure that it was the Messiah. And look who he told, Simon Peter. Or as I like to call him, the, the uh, apostle with the foot-shaped mouth because he always had his feet in his mouth. You know, he was just one of those guys, kind of like a lot of us. When Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John 4, verses 25 and 26, the conversation went something like, like this. It, it is, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now that's a, that's a bombshell when you think about it. You think about where Jesus was. Think about who he was talking to. You know, uh, Jewish men didn't, didn't have a lot of conversations with women, especially a Samaritan woman. And he told her exactly who he was. Now, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the prom promised Messiah or the Christ. He's the embodiment of God's promise to send a Savior who would reverse the course of sin and death and destroy Satan. Now, I, I kind of like that word, destroy Satan. You know, we don't talk about that much. If you look in Genesis, I, I like the way the NIV puts it in Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know, a, a lot of times you'll hear a pastor say that's the first prophecy in the Bible about Christ. That's, that's the first talking about, about what, his, what his mission is. In Hebrews 2 verse 14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. So, so what do we learn from that? We, we learn that Christ shares in our humanity. And we learn that he's here to break the power of him who holds the power of death. We also learn in, in, in the Gospels that Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. John 1.1 1, 1 says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when I first got saved, that was confusing to me. You know, it, 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 and, and the more you read it, the more confusing it gets. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, that I get. That's the Bible. That's Scripture. And the Word was with God. Well, okay, that kind of makes sense. And the Word was God. Okay, now wait a minute. What's he trying to tell me there? Well, you know, the Trinity has always been hard to explain. And, you know, I've heard it likened to an egg. You know, I've heard it likened to a lot of different things. Uh, you know, water that can be vapor, ice, and, and, uh, and, and liquid. Um, so there's a lot of ways to explain it. But I think when, when you think about 
as you read through Scripture, you look at those things and, and they all kind of make an impact on you. They're, they're all little bits of knowledge that you gain about Jesus Christ. Jesus became human. We're told he lived a sinless life. We're told he was obedient to God. He died for the world's sin and was resurrected after three days. All of the Gospels tell you that. They're, they're, you know, it's amazing. They're different writers, different things, all operating under the Holy Spirit, all saying pretty much exactly the same thing with, with little nuances because of their personality. See, it's kind of neat. The Holy Spirit allows us to keep our personality no matter how he uses us. So when you read all the Gospels and, and, and you read the letters of Paul and all that, you, you still see the person's personality in that, even though it's the Holy Spirit speaking through them. So scriptures also tell us what happened after he was, he was resurrected. In Acts 1, verses 9 to 11, it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who, was taken, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now that's kind of neat. Can, can you imagine that? You got these guys, okay, first of all, they're devastated. Jesus was crucified. Then they're elated because they get to see him again. And then all of a sudden he's taken up into heaven. And I mean, I, I think they're kind of standing there saying, what in the world is going on? Now, all this was prophesied, but when, when it actually happens to you, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a shattering experience. You know, I don't know how many of you have had prophecies spoken out over you and, well, okay, that's fine. And, you know, prophecy is something you kind of put on the shelf and then you wait and see if, it, if it's going to happen. Uh, and then all of a sudden it happens. You know, you, you kinda, it kind of sets you, sets you up straight. You know, you think, well, wow. So here we have them. You know, they're all on the road. They're all happy. And then, and then Jesus gets taken up. The next fact you can learn is in Hebrews 1.3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's important. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. There's that word, word again. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. So there's another piece you can, you can learn. Acts 10.42 says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So that tells us where to preach to people. There's an, another piece, piece of the puzzle. So all of this gives us knowledge about Jesus. Tells us who he is, what he is, tells us his relationship to God, tells us his relationship to us. And Jesus promises us righteousness because of his righteousness and a place in heaven and eternal life. You know, it's like the bonus round on uh, some of those uh, game shows on TV. You know, you, you get all this and you get what be, what's behind door number three. So, 
do we need all this knowledge to believe in Jesus? I don't, do we? Well, yeah, we do. And in some cases, we don't. We don't need all this knowledge, but it's there and it's a good thing to have it. We do need to know that, what? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And we do need to know that he came into the world to do what? To save us. Now, when I was little, hard to believe, right? When I was little, my family kind of celebrated a, a German-Irish Christmas which is a little weird right on the face of it when you think about it, but my parents and my grandparents who lived with us didn't go to church, but my dad's mom was Catholic. It's, it's funny, I, I know a lot of Catholics who swear they're Catholic, but they don't go to church. Um, I was brought up to believe in God and Jesus, but, but kind of out here, you know, yeah, there's a God, He's out there someplace. And I used to watch all those great Christmas specials on TV. And when I, when I first started to watch, the TV was about that big. Yeah, I'm old. Um, but I'm sure many of you know them and love them and still watch them. And, and I believed in the Christ child, but I didn't really know who he was. I believed in his existence without any knowledge of him. So I really wasn't what you would call a believer, was I? So here you have a little child and he's watching TV and he learns about the baby Jesus, the little drummer boy, all, all those things that you see on TV. Um, you know, there, there are some great old black and white Christmas specials that, uh, that they still play every once in a while that, that talk about stuff like that. So that's kind of started me out on a journey though okay so yeah okay there's a god i have no idea where he is jesus is his son and that's about all i knew now by now you're probably asking yourself well why is he telling us all this stuff that we've all known for years well this is kind of where god where, where things get sticky as i like to say can knowledge get you saved no, but everything that we're, we learn tells us that we need to have knowledge of the word, right? Of Jesus, of what he said, what he did. Can saying I believe in Jesus get you saved? That's the sticky point, isn't it? I can say I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but but I, I couldn't say I was saved back then. You remember the scripture from Deuteronomy that Pastor Keith gave, gave us last week? It's Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20. There, there's a long, and I wasn't going to read it, but I am going to read it, Brad. So it says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. 
you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. The day I, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Now if you take a close look at that, do you see the word believe in there anywhere? It's not there, is it? It says love, obey, but not believe. But when you read that scripture and you take it as a whole, what he's saying is you got to believe in the Lord and do what he says or you're not going to live long in the land that you're going over into. So in order for the promise that God gave us in Jesus to work, we need more than just that knowledge, right? Well, what's the next thing? We need to agree with it, right? You need to agree with the knowledge that you have. So that's the second thing. Now, I'm, I'm sad to say that agreement doesn't get you saved either. I can agree with what's in the Bible all day long and still not be saved. You know, I, I'm recently starting to see a, a phrase popping up on, the, uh, on a lot of the internet discussion groups, and I don't, know, I don't know how many of you have seen this or not. It says, we are saved by our belief, not by our actions. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But, but if I'm saved and I go out and murder a person every day, well, this says I'm not saved by my actions. I'm saved by my belief. So, you know, it sounds pretty good on the surface until you see they're, allow, they're using it to allow for all different kinds of sins. But, but that's okay because you're saved by your belief and not your actions. Basically, what it's really saying is I can do whatever I want as long as I believe in Jesus. Now, I heard, I heard pastor say at one time, you know, if your God lets you do whatever you want, your God is you. So, it, it's, you know, there, there, there's all kinds of traps out there. If you look at James 2.19, it says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Matthew 8.29 says, what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? These are all demons. They knew who Jesus was. So Satan and the demons know and agree, but they're certainly not saved. How, how many of you know the singer Carmen? No? A couple? Okay. okay. Yeah, this is the participation part of the sermon. Um, you remember the song, The Champion? Great song. Great song. It's, it's all about the, the, in the song, the boxing match between Jesus and Satan. And it, it describes the demons and all that in there and, and, uh, and, and what happens. And it's, it's just a good, you know, being on the worship team, I like those songs, but I certainly could never sing it the way he does. Um, what are we missing? Any of you have an idea what you're missing? Pardon me? Works. works. Well, yeah. Okay, but th this is kind of, that's kind of works that we're that we're talking about here. Uh, from time to time, I can't come up with an answer either for that, and it's and it's scary. We were, we were talking in Sunday school this morning about, um, 
you know, can you walk away? Can you lose your salvation? You know, and, and there's, there's different scriptures that seem to point to, yeah, you can. And what's even scarier is there's a couple scriptures that say once you walk away, it's impossible to come back. That's, that scares me. You know, it's, it's uh, you don't want to do that. And, and I think that's a dangerous place to be once you start backing, backing, out, of, backing out of it. And, and many, many people in, in their Christian walk go back and forth. I, I know I've done it. I'm sure many of you have done it. Uh, what was the example we were using this morning? Oh, you, you, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and the prayer doesn't get answered. Or you pray for somebody. We're talking about this Wednesday night. Or you pray for somebody, and they die. You know, and, and a lot of people get, get so upset that, that, they, that they start to walk away from God. Now, like Marlene was saying this morning, a lot of those people come back. You know, eventually they realize that God isn't who you get angry at for these things. He's who you take these things to and say, here, Lord, I, I can't get over this. I need your help. So we all say we believe in Jesus and that Jesus is our Savior. But in order for us to move mountains, see miracles, stand firm, make a case for faith, we need more. Now, God has really been speaking to us for a number of weeks about all this. If you look at pastor's messages, if you look at the Wednesday night teaching, Keith's messages, the Sunday school lessons, I kind of looked up the sermon titles and the, and the lesson titles for the past couple of weeks, and, and uh, one was Wake Up and Remember. One was Be a Mountain Mover. One was Miracles, Stand Firm, God is Good, God is My Help, God Knows His Own. Those last couple were Sunday school lessons. So let's get back to what's missing. The third thing we need is trust. Now, you could call that faith, right? Romans 10.9 says, and, and we all know this one, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on to say, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I believe that you can't really do that unless you have some trust in God. You know, Marlene said a couple weeks ago in Sunday school, you know, sometimes the only prayer you can say in an emergency is Jesus or Jesus help me or Jesus save me. And really, that's all that's necessary because God knows what's going on. John 20, 28 and 29 says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus was talking about a lot of things there, but one of the things he was talking about is us. You know, I don't know about you, but I've never had Jesus come so that I could see him. 
I had him talk to me one time. He said one word. I haven't heard a, a verbal thing since then. But when you pray, you get answers. When you sit in silence and you quietly pray, God will impress things on you. It's not always a voice. God doesn't say, hey, Marlene, I want you to do this. He might. And, and yet you have faith and trust that if you give something to God, he's going to do something with it. You may not necessarily like what he does with it, but he's going to do something with it. That's why pastor always says, you know, when, when, you, when you're in a situation with your children or someone that you love very much and you finally get to the point where you say, God, whatever it takes. It's one of the scariest prayers on the face of the earth. Whatever it takes. What does that do? That takes you what? Totally out of the picture. I'm an engineer. Any of you ladies married to an engineer? Oh, God bless you. Um, we are control freaks. You know, we, everything has a reason. And <laughs> to take yourself completely out of the picture, at least for someone with my training, is, is really scary. Because, you know, the train could go off the tracks. You know, and, and, and who gets the blame when the train goes off the tracks? The engineer does, right? Now, I'm not a train engineer, but it's the same principle. If the building falls down, hi, it's my fault. So it's one thing to believe in, in the abstract concept that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But you need to trust that he died for you. You know, there's that line that says, Jesus died for all sin for all time, from the beginning to the end, from your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother to your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild, if the Lord tarries. That's who he died for. Trusting Jesus makes him more than a savior. It makes him what? Lord of your life. And that's one of the keys. What so many of us that profess to be Christians are missing is that we don't make God Lord of our life. God is Lord when we're here. You know, who was saying to me, Angel was saying to me this morning that, well, you're with family, don't be nervous. Every time I do this, I'm more nervous than the time before. Don't ask me why. That's just the way God works in me. Um, now, the reason I believe the reason we see so few miracles in the United States is because we have that attitude. God is Lord here, but when I walk out that door, who's in charge? Me. We say we're Christians, but we do what we want to do. We defend what we want to defend and live how we want to live. How many of you are on Facebook? Isn't that a wonderful place to be? Now, Facebook used to be, you know, I'm going to post nice little pictures of my family and what they're doing, and, and I'm going to look at my friend's stuff, and, you know, Jamie and Dustin were overseas and posted a lot of pictures and all that kind of stuff, which I don't get to see because I'm not on Facebook anymore. But I could be if I wanted to be. Now, when we get, when we get onto Facebook, a lot of us become what they call, what, keyboard warriors, right? 
you know, somebody will say something on Facebook and we'll proceed to show them why in 90 sentences, why that's wrong. Well, that's not what Christ said to do. And I, I think Marlene said it this morning, you know, you don't have to preach to someone. You don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. Just tell them what God did for you. Dustin and Jamie gave a, gave a great illustration this morning, an awesome illustration. I thank God for providing that this morning because it fits in with everything. Something happened that for a lot of people totally ruined a vacation. Not only totally ruined it, but now they're stranded. You know, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to find a U.S. Embassy, if there is one, and, you know, go there and say, I need help. And then you have to prove who you are without having the documentation to prove who you are because, oh, by the way, everything that documents you, it was in your, it was in your wallet. A lot of people carry their passports in their pockets, and I, it's not a good idea either. Uh, or you put your little passport card in your wallet, and then the wallet's gone. Um, so that story alone, telling about how God watched over. Now, why would you take another wallet? Are you that kind of guy? Yeah. In the past, occasionally I've brought an extra wallet, which is my mugging wallet. If, I get mugged, if you get mugged, you can have this wallet with a few bucks in it. So, a kind of a plan. But you don't always do it. I don't always. And you don't always take your stuff, you never take your stuff along. I, I put it in this wallet. Ah. <laughs> so, so, because of, of God doing some little things. That, that really don't seem like much when you think about them, their vacation was saved. And, and they were able to get back here again with us on time and not get stuck in Romania. <laughs> I always say there were no such thing as coincidence. Yeah. I don't believe in coincidence anymore either. It's been a lot of years since I believe in, in coincidence. So instead of defending what we want to defend and living how we want to live, we need to take that Bible and we need to get into it. And that's, that's the knowledge part. You need to read it. And you have to agree with it. And, there's, and, and believe me, there's parts of the Bible that are hard to agree with. What's the scripture that says something about happy is the man who dashes the children's head against the rocks? And Yeah, it's in there. You know, you have to read the whole chapter to figure out what they're talking about. But, you know, that's knowledge. You know, now I don't know why it's there. God knows why it's there. Um, I think that God is calling this church to greater things than we've done. I think, and I think we're not going to get there by sitting in the pews every Sunday morning for two hours and then leaving and, and not really getting changed. And now I know why they staple stuff together. There we go. Let me make sure I have this in the right order. I'm like Pastor Jeff. I have to write everything out or it's not going to work for me. So one of the questions I always get is what, specifically what are we saved from? Well, <laughs> it's, it's easy to say we're, we're saved from hell. 
Well, I don't believe in hell. You know, that's, that's what you'll get. I don't believe in hell. I believe, why would a good God send anybody to hell? And we, we've all had, you know, we've been to the sermons, and we've, those of you who've been here on Wednesday night have, have heard all about that. What we're saved from is the wrath of God against sin that will surely fall upon sinners unless they are saved from that wrath. Now that's, that's you know, I, I, I took that from somebody's theological dissertation. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Okay. Anybody who thinks that man is not a sinner just hasn't been out in the world long enough. Um, and, and by choice, I mean, yeah, think about, think about as you go through your day. How many times do you, you do something and about a minute or two later you say, oops, that wasn't Christian. God wouldn't want me. Would I want God to be here and see what I did? You know, and that's because of the sin inherited from Adam, right? I mean, that's, this whole thing goes back to Adam and the sin we commit because of our fallen nature. And what's the consequence of that sin? Spiritual death, right? The Bible doesn't pull any punches on that. And, and I say it because of Adam. Now, I know a lot of people argue with you. You'll get people argue with you. Say, well, that was Eve. Eve ate the apple. Where does the Bible say Adam was when all this happened? Standing right next to her. And what do you think Adam was thinking? I'm a guy. I know guys. Adam was thinking, cool, talking snake. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. To blame that on Eve is not, is not right. It's, it, the Bible rightly calls it the sin of Adam. So... We, we know the consequence of sin is spiritual death. And Pastor Jeff has said several times that the worst thing about hell is what? Eternal separation from who? God. No Holy Spirit, no God, no Jesus. To me, that's the scariest thing about it. So specifically then, salvation is being saved from God's wrath concerning sin. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up early, like I always do, because I can never get a sermon to last an hour unless the Holy Spirit intervenes. But since I'm a musician, I want to leave you with something. There's a song by 10th Avenue North, and the lyrics say, it would be easier if you were just a thought in my head, simply something that I once read, a belief needing my defense. It would be easier if you were something I once knew, a hope just to hold on to, but you're holding out your hand. And, and, and we, we see that constantly. How many of you have seen that beautiful picture? They used to have it in the back of some churches, a beautiful picture of a, a door with ivy growing around it and Jesus standing outside of it going like this. I went to an EUB church once. That was a mural painted on the back wall. It was, it was, it was gorgeous. Now, here's my challenge to you. If you walk out of these doors this morning and put your feet back into the world without the knowledge, agreement, and trust gained by taking his hand, it's going to be very hard to say you're saved, isn't it? You can't go on living with one foot in the kingdom of God. It's my daughter's favorite saying. You can't go on living with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. God will not allow that. Oh, he'll allow it for a while. But, but, but the more you do it, 
the more uncomfortable it gets. And the more uncomfortable it gets, the more you're driven to make a choice. And, you know, at, at that point, I like to think of that, that little cartoon thing with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And the devil's telling you, you don't want this. You, you need to be in the world because the world gives you everything that you want. And Jesus is telling you, no, the, the world is nothing. The world is an illusion. Only Jesus gives you everything that you need. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord, I urge you to do so. Go back and read that Romans 10, 9, 9 to 13. That's, that's really the scripture. And just put it into action. One of the things I've been learning is that as you trust more in Jesus, you start to look at the things that he said and you start to try them out one by one. The one that comes to mind right now is, is when Jesus talks about generosity and giving to the poor. And you say to yourself, that doesn't make any sense. And then you do it a couple of times. And you say, well, wow, that feels pretty good. And then you start to get some things back from doing that. And you say, well, that's pretty awesome. And you kind of say, well, you know, he got that one right. Maybe it's a coincidence. So try another one. And as you, as you go through your walk and you try those different things, you'll find out that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. What he was saying was the truth. And we can trust in that. And the more we do it, the more we become like him. So that's the sermon for this morning. I'm letting you out a good 15 minutes early. Don't tell Pastor Jeff. We'll hope he's not listening. Brad, Brad can tell us. Is he, on, is he online, Brad? He, he hasn't been. Okay, so I, I won't hear about it until he looks at the Vimeo. All right. I want to thank you all for putting up with me this morning. It's, it's always a pleasure to do this. Uh, Father, thank you. Lord, why, why in the world you would, uh, you would want to love and save and help and just uh, be the father of a bunch like us, Lord? I, sometimes it's beyond my understanding. But Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you especially for your mercy. And we thank you for our salvation, Lord. And we pray earnestly that you show us and help us how to become more and more like you. Lord, we pray for everyone here this morning that as they go out into the world, they can continue to look like you, uh, that you give them safety and protection, that you bring them back here Wednesday night and next Sunday. And uh, we just ask that you help us to bless other people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.